We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kenyon Drake could be the playoffs MVP. Is Mike Williams better than Keenan Allen? And Friedman looks at some Week 16 lines on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Hi, everyone. Welcome to Rotoviz Radio. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz. I'm joined by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. This podcast is brought to you by my bookie. How's it going, Matt? Uh, it's going pretty well. We are in week 16, championship week. Um, we are recording this during Monday night football. I have a, a, uh, a game going on in a, uh, a best ball head to head dynasty league. I'm playing against Sean Siegel and Ooh. I need, uh, I have drew Brees. I'm right now I'm down by three points. I have drew Brees and, uh, Ted Ginn and he has Traquan Smith and I need Brees in order for him to count for my quarterback position. I need him to score more than 14 points. Or like you know, outscore. I needed to outscore Aaron Rodgers. So anyway, it's a pretty good matchup that uh, we have going on. So I will. Uh, it was a league, honestly, that I forgot about. Um, but it's it's kind of <laughs> it's built that way because it's a six month uh, dynasty. You know, head to head best ball. Yeah. You you know you draft your team, you draft rookies, you have one day to make waiver moves, and then that's it. That's the only thing you can do. And so your roster is what it is for the entire season. So I, I did forget about it. Um, and so I was pleased to see that, uh, I, I made the playoffs in it. And, uh, you know, if I, if I'm able to, uh, you know, beat Sean, uh, the, the head honcho at road of his, I will be <laughs> particularly pleased. Yeah. I imagine that you would be. Um, and you talked about this heading into this season, but I think that I need to make like the full change going forward in my fantasy life to just doing 
the overwhelming majority of leagues as best ball leagues. Yeah. Uh, it's just the way yeah, to go, it yeah, seems like. I think so. I don't want the headache of having to do waivers. And so I, I would say the one the the one league that I really care about, the Dynasty League, we still do waivers. It's head-to-head best ball, but we do waivers every week, and that's fine. But I think you just kind of have to simplify chunks of your life. And so yeah. if you you know if you like doing waivers, then fine. You can keep on doing that. But if you don't like doing waivers, great. Best ball is a fantastic option. If you don't like the headache of trying to figure out who you should start each week, like don't don't do it. Like do best ball. It's you know it's a great format for people who want to streamline the process and really focus on uh, the season and its totality and on the drafting process. Well, I'll tell you something about once a week I get a call from my brother that takes about like twenty five thirty minutes and he's asking me who he should be playing in specific spots where I'm like, dude, like the overwhelming majority of the time, I'm just going to point you to what somebody on Rotoviz has put out about a player that week to the GLSP, all of these tools. Yet we still go through this process. And then I will hear come Tuesday about how, you know, he played the wrong guy and he's all upset about that. So I'm like, what you really need to do is just start doing best ball leagues. I think that's the, the answer to your conundrum. I think most leagues should do it. Um, yep. you know, I, there are some people in the, the league that I'm in, you know, we made the switch maybe like five years ago. Um, and they still kind of grumble about it a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. like, Oh, the skill of setting your lineups or, you know, like there's the fun of that. Like they, they say they actually miss the, um, the, the hassle of, of doing it. They don't say hassle, but like, yeah, they, they miss the thrill of having to make lineup decisions. <laughs> and I'm just like, man, I have other things I would rather be doing. Yeah. See, I could kind of get that, but the big challenge for me this year too, is it's like, um, on Sunday, like we had the Rotoviz Patreon going and whatnot. So it's like I, I just wanted I was more focused on making sure I was answering questions on there than like, you know, focusing on any last second stuff in my lineups. Um, and I imagine that a lot of people with it being, you know, a normal family day on Sunday for people too, it becomes a certain hassle at some point in your life needing to deal with that. So yeah, exactly. I think we're we're in full favor of best ball leagues here. Yeah. Um what would oh, have one been more, nicer? Sorry, one yeah, more thing. yeah, yeah, go for one it. One more yep. thing to mention about uh, a benefit of best ball leagues, especially in Dynasty, uh, it makes it hard to tank. Um, yes, you yes. Know, it's like because uh, the only way you can tank is you basically drop all of your good players, you know, which you're not yeah. going to do, especially in Dynasty. So it, it helps keep uh, the, the competition pretty honest. That's true too. And if you worry about people losing interest as it goes along and that affecting some matchups, you're not going to really have that as an element. Yeah. Which is nice. Yep. Um, you know, what would have been nice for us in uh, our redraft leagues, Matt, would have been if Kenyon Drake had been uh, an Arizona Cardinal all season. Yeah. I don't want to say that I feel as if I've been vindicated in my Kenyon Drake <laughs> love because, um, you know, Hey, he was still with the dolphins when we made that pick, uh, in yep. retrospect, we were, uh, I, especially, um, I was way too, uh, optimistic about what he might be able to do in that offense. But, uh, we see the talent, like the, the talent is there. And with the Cardinals, he's, uh, you know, getting opportunity and in an offense that is able to, uh, move the ball at least at a league average ability. 
um, yeah, what he did in week 15, uh, if anyone was able to start him, you know, like if you had Kenyon Drake and somehow made the playoffs and then had the foresight to start him, or, you know, if you were fortunate enough to have him in a best ball league, um, yeah, what he did in week 15 could make a really big difference. Yeah. So for anybody that is not aware Four rushing touchdowns. Yes, four rushing touchdowns. 137 rushing yards. Also had one reception for nine yards. That comes out to nearly 40 PPR points. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think that even if we see like a 20-point performance from him in Week 16, he might be able to make a strong case given that performance for uh, Fantasy Finals MVP or you know Playoffs MVP, I guess I should say. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. Um, if he has another big week, definitely possible. So, a, too little, too late, I guess, is the unfortunate story for us there. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, not helping our team. Yeah, not, not really helping us out. Um, you recently sent out a tweet, Matt, asking if Keenan Allen, if we're sure that he's better than Mike Williams, I'm going to let you just take the airwaves here and uh, break this down for us. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm going to assume that most people think Keenan Allen is better than Mike Williams. He probably is. I think there's a, a couple of reasons why it's worth asking the question, at least because like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going about this poorly, but we'll just sort of start with the numbers, right? Yep. Mike Williams on a per target basis has 11.3 yards per target. That's a pretty good number. That's, you know, like top five, uh, at the wide receiver position. Keenan Allen has 8.1 yards per target. Now, I know that they play uh, basically different positions, even though they're both wide receivers, but, you know, Mike Williams stretches the field. Keenan Allen runs the shorter routes. Um, but the thing is, uh, on a per-game basis, Mike Williams has 70.2 yards. Keenan Allen has 74.7 yards. So very comparable in terms of what they're doing on a per game basis in the yardage. Keenan Allen has more touchdowns, but one, we know touchdowns can be pretty random. And two, we know that Mike Williams has touchdown scoring capability because he just scored 11 last year. And Keenan Allen has never had even double digit touchdowns. So as a field stretcher or someone who's able to get the ball deep, Mike Williams is superior. And I would say as a touchdown scorer, Mike Williams is at least as good as Keenan Allen and maybe better. Um, how do we know for sure that Keenan Allen is quote unquote better than Mike Williams? Like maybe even if he's a better route runner, like I'll just go ahead and concede that fine. He runs wonderful routes, but like, does that really matter if Mike Williams is just better at getting the ball down the field and those targets are worth more? Um, you know, it makes me think of a couple of things. One, the Chargers should probably just throw the ball more to Mike Williams if he's so much more efficient on a per target basis. Like they need to reallocate targets towards him. Or if Keenan Allen really is better, they need to use him on routes further down the field. Like if he's so good at separating, he could separate seven yards down the field instead of five yards down the field. Right. So, like, yep. the, it, there's the there's discrepancy between the two that is highlighting something. And I think it's worth thinking about what that something is. And, and one thing I don't think it is at all, people are saying it doesn't really matter if Mike Williams is better than Keenan Allen because uh, Phillip Rivers is garbage. And they sort of use that as like this catch-all explanation. But like Mike Williams has to deal with 
Philip Rivers just as much as Keenan Allen does. You know, like uh, I feel yep. like I feel like he might even be impacted more by Philip Rivers. Um, but yeah, uh, so th- th- that's just sort of the general uh, thought process behind the tweet. And I think there is a real possibility that even if Keenan Allen is better as a, you know, all around football player, better as a technician at the receiver position, that gets overvalued by people who uh, just sort of like, quote unquote, watch the game. Um, And they're they're undervaluing what Mike Williams does, which is stretch the field and make contested catches at a pretty high rate. So I guess my natural question here would be, does any of your analysis here relate to, and maybe this isn't the right word, but a bias that you have for a particular type of wide receiver? Or is it just kind of getting in that you think the Mike Williams prototype, if you will, is just more valuable in today's NFL or to the Chargers in specific? Do you kind of understand where I'm taking this? Like, if we had two analogous players on a separate team, are you always just going to go with the Mike Williams prototype? Uh, no, because the Mike Williams prototype might not be as good as Mike Williams. And yep. the other guy might be, you know, Keenan Allen or better. Okay. You know, like, I think, I, I think yep. Keenan Allen is a perfectly fine player. And if he's as good as people, like, actually think he is, um, Either the Chargers aren't using him the way that they should, like they're not using him as efficiently as they could be, or um, they're not appreciating how good Mike Williams actually is. Right. So I, I think to kind of paraphrase some of what you're saying here, we have a situation where Keenan Allen is a good receiver. He can do a lot of productive things, but the team actually may be better served by leveraging the things that Mike Williams can do. And those would actually have a larger positive impact for the team. Um, if he were able to become more of a focal point. So he, in a way, really with his skill set should be the, should be the first option in that offense is what you're saying. Yes, that is, that is precisely what I'm driving at. And you said it better than I was getting there. Fantastic. Like I think the analogy for this is you have a guy who can hit a lot of home runs and you're not giving him as many as bat at, at bats as you should, because you are obsessed with a guy who gets singles and doubles. You know, like and, yep. give, give the guy who actually hits home runs more at bats. And with what we have seen from the Chargers of this season, they need some home runs. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't understand the world in which a guy who leads the league with 20.7 yards per reception and is actually decent, which is ridiculous, by yeah, the way. Yeah. And, and who's decent <laughs> enough at converting his targets into catches. So it's not like that's a, a hollow statistic, right? Like right. 11.3 yards per target. That is the number that matters, and that is top five in the league. I don't know right. why you would not funnel more targets to that guy so you could just give targets to a guy who is around league average in efficiency. And that's not to say that what Keenan Allen does isn't important to the team. I think it's good to have a guy who can operate effectively in the middle of the field, but it's also important to have a guy who can get stuff done deep. And like, I don't see why you would settle for the middle of the field when you could take more shots deep. I'll accept that premise. I I would like to try and make a case for Keenan Allen and just to go back and forth. But I think we've we've gone through enough of that. I I think it's fair. Here's here's one more one more thing I'll say. Yep. 
This this feels very much like a sort of Chris Godwin versus Mike Evans. I was thing, gonna say that, yeah. Except except the the clear difference is that Keenan Allen is not Chris Godwin. Like that is the clear difference. You know, like Mike Evans is better than Mike Williams, but yep. Chris Godwin is like immensely better than Keenan Allen. But they do something that is very similar. It's just that Godwin is able to do much more with the ball once it's in his hands. So it, it's fine to give him the ball closer to the line of the line of scrimmage because he can actually get yards after the catch. Whereas like that is not Keenan Allen's strong suit. So where does Mike Williams fall in that equation? Though, If I asked you to rank those four wide receivers and you think of it through that context, do you still end up with Williams at three and Allen at four? I mean, like I like I'll have to say, like I'll have to acknowledge that yep. that Keenan Allen is probably better than Mike Williams. But I don't I don't think we can say that definitively because yep. we haven't seen Williams get the opportunities that he needs to prove that he's not better than Keenan Allen. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think um ultimately here you're not saying it's necessarily set in stone, but it's a fair question. I I think it is probably a fair question to ask. Yeah, I mean, they are so close in yards per game, and he's doing it with so few targets that it's like, hey, uh, maybe we should just give him one more target per game and see what he can do. (laughs) But Matt, he's not getting double teamed like Keenan Allen. Yeah, because guys in the slot who are really slow always get double teamed. teamed. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that that must have been one of the responses on Twitter. Uh, no, Somewhere actually, I don't, I don't think anyone mentioned, uh, that he was okay. getting double teamed. They, they did mention that they run different routes and that, uh, yeah. Keenan is a complete receiver who runs the entire route tree. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Um, which who knows, maybe there is some credence to that. But anyway, did you know that Jared Cook has been a tight end one every single week that he's played since week five? I, I did know that actually. Uh, and I, I know that because. The uh the graphics that are available in the road of his uh <laughs> stat explorer are so awesome and, and uh, clear that uh it highlights that fact right away. Oh wow, look at that. Well uh yes, that was that, that was true. unprompted, by the way. Yeah, no, that was fantastic, man. I'm I'm very pleased uh with how you pieced that together. Yeah. So I bring this up for a couple of reasons. The first is there's a lot of people out there that have Jared Cook on their team, and perhaps they have another tight end that could be a reasonable option at the flex position. If you're an owner who has Jared Cook and it's another solid tight end, do you think about popping Cooks into that flex? Are you feeling that good? Uh, the over in their game this week is 51, which I'm going to mention here too because we were talking before the show. I know that there are some uh, games that have you very intrigued this week. Of course, New Orleans will be playing the Titans. Threw a lot at you. Break that down how you how you feel. Yes. So uh, looking at Jared Cook, as you mentioned, he's been a, yep. a tight end one every week since week five. And that was uh, even with uh, a, a partial week 14 where he was playing against the the 49ers who are one of the best tight end defending teams in the league. Granted, they were playing without their strong safety. So, you know, a little bit different. But uh, yeah, Jared Cook uh, in the tentative, like I'm, I'm doing rankings right now for week 16. Um, I have him projected in the top 10 um, odds maker 
uh, Sean Corner has him uh, ranked number seven right now, I believe. And so, like, they're, you know, they're going to be tweaks that are made throughout the week. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's clearly, I think, in the top ten. Um, so the question is just, do you have someone who is clearly better than him? Like, do you have Darren Waller? You know, do you have uh, Tyler Higby? I think you could make the case for Higby above Cook. But there aren't really all that many guys that you can say definitively are above Cook. Uh, Tennessee hasn't been all that great at defending the tight end position this year. Uh, and then, as you mentioned, the over-under is 51, which I believe is the highest on the slate for Week 16. If it's not the highest, it's definitely one of the highest marks. Uh, and one thing that's pretty intriguing um, about this spot is that since Ryan Tannehill took over as the starter for the Titans, which was in, uh, I believe, Week 7, um, the over in Titans games has gone seven and one. Um, and in the, the one loss was in week 15 where there could have been more points scored, but you know, interceptions were thrown in, in the red zone and stuff like that. Um, you know, that had the makings of a high scoring game, but basically, uh, those games are, are going over. Uh, and so I like the idea of having exposure to a, a tight end who's uh, in a game that's going back and forth. And I'm I'm betting the over on that this week, even though 51 is a high number. You have two high scoring offenses going at it. Yeah. The uh, the other thing to note on Cook, actually, uh, the GLSP projections I have just finished getting up on the site. Jared Cook actually ranks 46 overall among flex players. So I can see some scenarios where there's some teams out there that maybe that have two tight ends and, uh, you know, you're going to be able to go with Cook and another option that you potentially have. Yeah. Saquon Barkley looking a little bit more like Saquon Barkley than he has the rest of the season. Of course, that was against the Dolphins. Um who I want to note also, we've talked about Devontae Parker now a couple of times, signed a nice five-year extension with the team. If one thinks that that's actually a nice situation for Devontae Parker, that remains to be seen. But the Dolphins play the Bengals this week. Can owners in the playoffs, and I know your answer is probably going to be something like, if you have Bengals or Dolphins players, you're not in the finals or the playoffs or whatever. We're going to pretend that these people are. Can they trust the players on either team. I think there's going to be that thought of, are these teams really going to go out there? Are they going to be trying? Can you trust how they're going to utilize their player, their, their players? You know, you're probably really only looking at Devontae Parker, Joe Mixon, maybe Tyler Boyd. Thoughts on these guys. Yeah. I think that you can still, or go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, want, you know me so well, cause that is yeah. something I, I would say, but uh, I've been proven wrong. Uh, some people have uh, sent me screenshots of their Joe Mixon teams in the playoffs and in fact, uh, in my in my dynasty league, the guy I'm likely to play against in the championship game uh, has Joe Mixon, um, and and great all around job by that guy uh, in working the waiver wire and uh, you know piecing together other runners who could compensate when Mixon wasn't getting the job done. But Mixon has been getting the job done for the past six weeks, uh, and now he has a dream matchup. Uh, so yeah, uh, I like Mixon quite a bit. Uh, you mentioned Devonte Parker. I think he's probably top 12, top 15 this week. I think if, if you have him, you're obviously starting him, um, you know, his healthy games, uh, you know, he had the concussion, uh, two weeks ago, but he came back last week, uh, in his healthy games since Preston Parker went out, he's averaged over a hundred yards per game. I mean, he's clearly getting the job done. And then Tyler Boyd, uh, I'm always a little hesitant about Boyd, but uh, I'm still 
you know, thinking that he's a top 30-ish guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, wide receiver three on the low end this week because of the matchup. So yeah, if you have them, you're, you're starting them. I mean, it's a, it's a disgusting game. Um, and, uh, you know, the line has kind of moved, uh, you can find it dolphins minus one. You can find it at a pick in some places. I like the dolphins. Um, they're actually against the spread. They are seven and three, uh, since October started. So they went Oh, and four to start the season, uh, in September, right? They were horrible, but they had the buy in week five. Uh, they went to Ryan Fitzpatrick as their starter shortly thereafter, and they've been pretty competitive. Like they are playing like a team that, that doesn't want to lose. Whereas, uh, the Bengals are just sort of, they're there, you know? Um, so I, I like the, I like the Dolphins side a little bit more, but I still think that Mixon and, uh, Boyd can be pretty useful. Two thoughts here. The first is you said Preston Parker, which I really enjoy. I believe you meant Preston, Preston Williams. Williams. Yeah, Preston not, Parker, not Preston Parker. Yeah. was actually a wide receiver at Florida State uh, who got himself into some trouble. But he was in on the team during this weird period of the team being like pretty poor. I believe it was in the last couple of years of the Bowden era. But he was so good and so athletic that he was one of these guys who, like, against all odds, was making plays. But um, I don't think had the focus to continue far along. Anyway, that made me happy. Number two, I'm sure that I'm going to get some questions about Devontae Parker. Like you, I think that you're still rolling with Parker. Uh, He's been really, really solid with Fitzpatrick in there. I don't think you need to be worried. He actually is the 10th best wide receiver um, in a 50th percentile projection per the GLSP this week. And like you said, if you've paid any attention to the Dolphins as of late, it does not feel like a team that's just throwing away games. I think they're going to continue to fight. Thus, a player like Parker feel confident rolling with. Um, a confounding question here, Matt. What do the Steelers do at quarterback as a potential playoff team? They're facing the Jets this weekend in a game that matters. If the Steelers win out, they kind of control their own destiny, I believe, in capturing that sixth seed. But we saw Devlin <laughs> Duck Hodges just fall apart this week. We've seen Rudolph struggle. I don't know what this team can do. Well, uh, first of all, did you see Ben Roethlisberger on the sideline of that game? Yes. yes. Uh, he looks like an injured offensive lineman or <laughs> uh, a former uh, defensive player who is now a coordinator. Like yep. he looks like Matt Patricia's cousin. Um, <laughs> anyway, Ben Roethlisberger is not walking through that door. So it's got to be either duck or Mason Rudolph. Um, I mean, I think the answer is pretty clearly not Mason Rudolph. Um, so I think you go back to Duck Hodges and hope he doesn't throw four interceptions. Um, but, you know, they're, I mean, they don't have a good solution at quarterback. Uh, at, you know, at defense, like, they have a good solution. They just have to hope that their defense is better than the mistakes that their quarterbacks make. One thing that is kind of interesting, and and uh, it's sort of like the um, – like the the Dolphins, and I mean, and actually they're connected to the Dolphins because of the Minka Fitzpatrick trade. But you know, for the first two weeks of the season, they were uh, they were total trash. Like they were losing games by sixteen points. Uh, but you know, since uh, Ben Roethlisberger, I'm throwing my mass my mouse around. Uh, since <laughs> since Ben Roethlisberger was injured in week two, and since they added Minka Fitzpatrick in week three, they have a point differential of plus three point five. 
Um, they're not scoring all that many points, but they're scoring more points. And the big thing is they've been holding opponents to only 16.5 points per game. Um, and so against the spread, they're actually nine and three since week three. And that includes the loss that they had to the bills in week 15. Um, so I don't think that highly of the jets. I think the jets are pretty trashy. Uh, the Steelers are favored by only three points in this game. I know that they're on the road. But uh, I like the Steelers at that number. I would be betting them. And also, Sam Darnold, uh, I think in part because of how many interceptions he tends to throw and he has the, you know, the fumbling. I wouldn't say it's a huge fumbling problem, but like he he's lost some fumbles too. Um, he hasn't been good against the spread. Like uh, if you were betting like just blindly against Sam Darnold, you would be 15, eight and one against the spread over the past two seasons. And that's like spread out pretty evenly with last season and this season. So I like this spot for the Steelers. Um, it's hard to back any of their quarterbacks, but uh, I think their defense is uh, in a pretty good position this week. Okay, I accept that. Um, an interesting thing, though, I will note is, and it did like him last week. Of course, he was playing uh, the Ravens and it didn't work out as well as I would have liked. But the GLSP does really like Darnold this week. Um, and if you look at week 10 to week 15, he has uh, four QB1 performances in there. Uh, tougher matchup with the Steelers. So we'll have to see how it pans out. Um, but for those of you that are choosing between Darnold and maybe like a Tom Brady, I think I'm probably still rolling with uh, Darnold. Final thing before we take a quick pause uh, to hear from one of our sponsors, Matt, the Miles Sanders emergence that looked like it never would come. Uh, it really came on Sunday, 122 rushing yards, 50 receiving yards, a touchdown in both phases of the game. This is the Miles Sanders that we were expecting to see. Boston Scott had the game the week before, mildly involved against the Redskins, but this has to be encouraging for Miles Sanders owners. Yeah, this was triumphant, uh, perfect timing too. So, you know, everyone who has him in a best ball league and, you know, was hoping they would be able to get something out of him by the end of the season. Uh, this could be big for, you know, week 15, week 16. Maybe he could help get you in the money. Um, you know, and I think you love to see this lining up for what he could potentially do next season. Um, because I don't think Jordan Howard is going to have the market share next year uh, that he had this year, if he's even on the team next year. Uh, Miles Sanders, you know, looked like the guy who was a five-star recruit at Penn State, you know, looked like the guy who as a junior in his first year of action was, uh, you know, the guy carrying his offense. Uh, fantastic performance. I am a little cautious about this week. Like, I think he could still have a big game, but um, the Cowboys Eagles uh, over under is 47 and a half. And I just, uh, I kind of have this. Uh, this is going to be sort of like a very unrotovizy, uh, like unnumbers oriented type of take, but like <laughs> this, this feels like an old school NFC East. Everything is on the line, twenty four <laughs> to twenty one type of game. You know yep. what I mean? Like, um, the, if the Cowboys win, they are the NFC East champions. If the Eagles win, they will win the division as long as they can beat the Giants in Week Seventeen. So, given you know what is at stake. I think that the both teams are going to play slow 
I think they're going to try to keep the game close, you know, to where it's like, let's just keep it close and then hope we can win at the end of the game, right? They're going to have, uh, you know, a little more of a conservative bent on offense. They're familiar with each other. The weather is colder. And here's this one, this one trend from uh, the Bet Labs database. Um, whenever divisional opponents face off in the final month of the season, we typically see lower scoring games. So the, the under hits 288 to 217. Um, and then there's this also, uh, Dak Prescott, uh, you know, obviously he plays half of his games at AT AT&T stadium, which is a dome when he plays on the road, he tends to the under. Uh, and I think part of that is just, you know, he's not used to playing in conditions that are colder or there's wind or whatever. So, uh, the Dak Prescott under is 19 and 12 throughout his career, uh, when he's on the road. So uh, this is a game, you know, again, the over-under is 47 and a half. Um, I would probably bet that down to 45. Um, And so it's going to give me a little bit of pause uh, just regarding any of the players in the Cowboys-Eagles game. A follow-up question for you on that. So just just to confirm my understanding, you you referenced a stat that basically, to sum it up, said that when divisional teams face off against each other late in the season it normally goes for the under yeah exactly it's surprising to me that that doesn't then get factored into the lines i think it it might but i think it i think it would get factored in and maybe some of the other things so like Mm -hmm. if the weather is colder that might get factored in right and you have the weather but um i think i see what you're saying i think the market isn't quite as good at uh, thinking about matchups between teams that play each other regularly and right. then like factoring in all of the other things that typically happen at the end of the season, you know, like, oh, this game means more. So teams play slower or like yep. more like more players are injured at the end of the season. So the teams aren't moving quite as efficiently. Like there are lots of things that can mm-hmm. factor into it. And I think all of or most of those things would uh, tend to drive games towards the under. And so even if the the line eventually takes this into account, I think it still doesn't move as efficiently as it should. Well, I am very fascinated by this. Um, that's that's very interesting. Uh, so after the show, like you sh- or all of the listeners should be, I will probably be heading to mybookie.ag, and that is the place to go to get into the betting action as this season comes to a close to make the most of it. You still have two weeks of the regular season in the NFL bowl games will be starting for college pretty soon, which is glorious. And you'll have the NFL playoffs. There's no better place to play than my bookie. You don't need to sweat it. If you haven't used a sports book before they have a patient customer service team, they can walk you through the whole process and you can still take uh, advantage of our promo code Rotoviz to get in on that action. Where you make your bets is just as important as the teams that you bet on. If you want to have fun throughout the holidays and throughout the end of the NFL season, make sure that you get in on the action at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Matt. I am now just going to let you talk to us about some more of these games because as we were getting ready for the show this week, you seemed much more focused on that than the actual fantasy breakdowns, which I'm really not sure at this point in the season what we can tell people anyway. 
Um, so I'm I'm going to let you uh, elucidate uh, some of your thoughts for these games. Talk to me about the Raiders-Chargers game. I believe that the last that I saw for this was the... And actually, I already forget. Who did I say? Uh, Raiders-Chargers. Yeah, but actually, um, hey, let's let's start with uh, let's do Bills Patriots. Okay, let's go for it. Um, because you are a Patriots fan, I would yep. like to get your thoughts on uh, on this matchup. But by the way, this is going to be one of the games on Saturday. Uh, yep. I think it's always cool at the end of the season we get those few games on in week sixteen and seventeen that are on Saturday. Uh, so everyone who's you know playing in championship week, uh, be sure to set your lineups on Saturday. Uh, no Thursday night football this week, uh, but yeah, prepare for Saturday. So. Um, this game, uh, the, the Patriots at home favored by six, and then the over under is 38 and a half, which is a pretty low number. But as a Patriots fan, what are your thoughts on this game? Kind of like, like, how do you, you know, like, how do you feel about the team? How do you feel about the bills? Like, where are you? So as, as far as I feel about the team, I do feel like this is a solid playoff team. Um, I don't think that this Patriots team is as good as the ones that we have seen in the last three, four years, whatever timeline you want to use, largely because the offense is just not as good as it has been. It still seems to be lacking an identity. When you're watching the games, it used to be in the past that there was a couple of things you could count on the team bringing out in situations when it really needed to put something together. And this season, especially if you look at the Chiefs game, you've seen them resort to trick plays, which I I always view as a worrying factor. Because to me, I hearken back to remember that Oklahoma. Have I talked? I may have talked about this recently, but that Oklahoma Boise State game back in I think it was a Sugar Bowl a long time ago, where it was like Boise State knew that they couldn't beat Oklahoma, so they just resorted to like every trick play that they had. Yeah. They, they and, fired all of their bullets in that game. Yes, they did. And I kind of feel like we've seen the Patriots doing that at points. So that, to me, really speaks to this team not being what it has been in the past, especially offensively. Also, uh, on a related note, this is the first time I have ever seen a DST GLSP projection spit out the top-ranked defense for the week being one that is playing the Patriots, which is really telling. Wow, that that is interesting. Although the Bills are really good on defense, and that right. actually factors into one of the the uh, the ways that I'm approaching this game. Right, uh, I like the under. Uh, so 38 and a half, that's a low number. That's probably one of the lowest numbers on the slate, if not the lowest. But you have two defenses that are fantastic going against each other. The Patriots are number one in the league with 4.5 yards allowed per play. The Bills are number four with 4.8. So, you know, two really good defenses going against each other. And I don't really think all that highly of both offenses right now. Um, you know, obviously we don't need to talk about the struggles that the Patriots are having on offense. Uh, the bills they're, they're okay. Like they're, um, they're equipped enough on offense, but it's not like they're a juggernaut by any means. Um, so this, this feels like a perfect game for for the under and uh in Allen's 25 career starts um the bills are 18 and 7 to the under uh on the road where i think they probably play a little bit slower uh and you know they're a little more conservative on offense the under is 11 and 1 in in Josh Allen's starts so i am really looking to the under in this game 
and then I'm also taking the Bills at plus six and a half. Um, you know, Allen is, I just, you know, got done sort of trashing him, but like he's good enough and the defense is good enough to keep games close. Uh, in his 25 career starts, the bills are 15, nine and one against the spread. They're even better on the road where he's nine and two, uh, no, sorry, nine, two and one, uh, against the spread. And as an underdog, he's 10, four and one. So there are a lot of things that are like pointing towards Josh Allen being a uh, a pretty good road underdog quarterback uh, against the Patriots. I don't and and like we're already dealing in kind of smaller samples, but uh, and I'm not putting much stock in this at all. But I believe he is two and zero against the spread uh, against the Patriots, which again I don't put any stock in that. But like it at least shows like hey he can do it. So you you know what the funny thing about that is when I hear you say that he's two and zero that makes me just be more like all right so this is the time that it probably doesn't work out right I mean it it can it can easily <laughs> you can take happen. it either way yeah the, the bigger numbers the bigger numbers that I'm looking at is that like in his 25 career starts he's 15 nine and one against the spread and even better on the road even better as an underdog right I actually think that this six and a half is a very large spread for this game this feels um, like a three point game. Yeah, it really does. So I, I would be right there with you actually going with the Bills. Uh, we should probably also mention for as much as we've maligned um, Josh Allen, he's raised that 53% uh, completion rate to 59 this season. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gotten more <laughs> accurate. He's not throwing as many interceptions. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say that he's like tearing, tearing it up, but he's progressing the way that you would want to see a quarterback progress in his second year. Um, you know, hopefully he gets better in his third year and, you know, like he's, he's making progress. Like he is, um, he is good enough for, I think what they want to do with that offense based on where they are. And if he continues to improve, uh, that team could be really scary, uh, in a year or two. Yeah. Which I mean, is why even now, um, as a Patriots fan, I'm not looking at this as a game that's better than a, you know, like 55% chance to win, which in New England, I mean, that that is really speaking to, I guess, some of the steps that the Patriots have taken back, but very much to the steps that the Bills have taken forward. Yeah. Um, you dictated who we were talking about there. I'm just going to throw it out, and uh, perhaps you're just going to derail the show and run away when I say <laughs> Cowboys. When I say Cowboys-Eagles. Uh, the spread on this game that I have seen most recently has the over-under at 47.5. What do you think of that? Okay, we we talked we talked about that earlier in the show when we talked oh, we about did. Miles Sanders. Yeah, right, right, but, right. So so that's the over under the um the spread is right now Cowboys two and a half. Uh, I don't even know what to do with that number. Um, they are the Cowboys are so inconsistent that uh, I just I, I like I'm not betting on them. I mean, I definitely don't want to bet on them. But they are they're so inconsistent and explosive explosive enough where I don't feel confident in betting against them either. So I'm just I'm staying away from that game in terms of the spread and I'm taking the under uh on the road in Philadelphia. If there were some type of like best ball variant of betting, I think the Cowboys might be an interesting team to have rostered. Yeah, I mean, let's <laughs> like I want to say like there is a universe where we are like four or five wins away from Jason Garrett being a Super Bowl winning coach and telling Jerry Jones to screw off. <laughs> like, you know, like that is that is within the realm of reality. 
Like, well, it's not, I, I guess it's not some of this depends happen, on your interpretation of the multiverse. Yes. Um, final thought uh, on the Cowboys is uh, they're a coaching change at the end of the season. Yeah. I mean, unless, God, I mean, I don't want to be displeased if the Cowboys actually make it to the NFC championship game. But if they do, I don't think Jason Garrick is fired. There's you know, no way that, that there, there's no way the Cowboys make it there. It's not even going to be something to worry about. The, I mean, th- yeah, they're probably not going to. But the thing is, like any team, like the Ravens weren't likely to win a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. Like if you make it into the playoffs, anything can happen, uh, especially, you know, if there are injuries and the Cowboys are explosive enough to be able to score on anyone. I I have no no qualms with Dak Prescott at, at at quarterback. I think it for me it really is just the coaching and the lack of consistency that we've seen with this team. I mean, clearly you could argue that they could put it together for a stretch in the playoffs, but I think for them that's a pretty long stretch. I mean, here's the thing, the NFC is not all that um imposing. Right? It's not like there's the Ravens or the Chiefs. Like the 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 Packers are very beatable. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, I mean, the 49ers, like they have issues, you know, and they're dealing with injuries. The Seahawks, I, I mean, I don't want to say that they're like paper giants, but um, they are not as good as their record. So I, I don't know, like, why not the Cowboys? Like the Cowboys could accidentally just fall ass backwards into the NFC championship game. Like that could happen. All right. I, I'll, I will give you it could happen. It could happen. Um, speaking I mean, I'm not the, gonna I'm not gonna bet on it, but you right. know, like that's Which I that's think my is what nightmare. You were saying, but okay, yeah, yes. like that's my nightmare. Is it happens and Jason Garrett keeps his job, and I don't get to enjoy the Cowboys going to the NFC Championship game? <laughs> All right, I hear you. Um, moving along, I don't believe we have talked about the Chiefs Bears game yet. Yeah, we haven't. Um, man, uh, let's just kind of reflect a little bit on uh, you know, Trubisky. Uh, last year, an actual viable fantasy quarterback. Um, you know, some people were betting on him to win MVP entering the season. It's just been a total train wreck of a season for him. And in the middle of the year, it looked like the Chiefs were kind of derailing. Um, you know, Tyree Kill was out, and then you know Patrick Mahomes was out, and then Tyree Kill was out again. You know, so like they've only had like a, a solid month of having their core group of guys together. And even then Damian Williams has been out. So they've just, they haven't really had the opportunity to put all of their offense together. But even, even then they are on a four game winning streak. They've clinched their division. They're 10 and four, like things are humming for that team. And you know, you contrast that with the bears uh, who last week were officially eliminated from playoff contention. I think it's going to be a difficult game for the, the Bears to uh, like be motivated for. And then the Chiefs are especially good on the road. This is being played in Chicago. You have the dynamic of Andy Reid going against his former uh, coordinator and Matt Nagy. Um, I have a lot of respect for Andy Reid, not nearly as much respect for Matt Nagy anymore. Uh, and Andy Reid, since 2013, has been able to get his team to be um, 
one of the few teams in the league actually to score more points on the road than at home. Uh, actually, they have an NFL high road home offensive differential of 2.8 points. So they score almost a field goal more on the road than they do at home. Uh, and given their penchant for scoring points on the road, that means that they are the league's best visiting team uh, against the spread. They're 35, 18 and one on the road under Andy Reid, which is uh, a really strong record. Uh, I don't think five points is all that much going against a Bears team that has really nothing left to play for. Um, So I like the Chiefs quite a bit at minus five. Wow, a lot of uh, convincing and compelling stuff there. One thing I want to mention on the Chiefs, um, and this is going back to the game against New England, it kind of felt like the Chiefs put themselves in a position where they did a tremendous amount of things to disadvantage themselves in that game, and they still ended up winning. So I think it just kind of speaks to, in a game where this team puts it all together, what they're capable of. Yeah, I th- I think they could still make it to the Super Bowl. Like, I have a lot of respect for the Ravens. Uh, I mean, we've talked about them probably yep. more than any other team right. this season. But, uh, you know, people might be sleeping on the Chiefs a little bit. Um, but, I mean, they've they've beaten the Patriots this year. They've beaten the Ravens this year. Like, they can they can get there. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, Vikings Packers, I don't think we've mentioned. But first, though, I do want to take a couple seconds to talk about Dalvin Cook. Zimmerman has said that Cook might be able to play through the shoulder injury, but we did see a very solid game out of Mike Boone. Yeah, um, that is, I'd say, like the fantasy question of, uh, of week 16. Like, what's going to happen with Dalvin Cook? What's going to happen with his backup, Alexander Madison? And if those two guys are out, um, how how high is Mike Boone's upside? Uh, which I think like he has like locked in running back, you know, like one through 12 upside. Um, if he is actually the guy and Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison are out. Um, but as you mentioned, it looks like right now that Cook is actually going to play. Um, obviously people should monitor practice reports throughout the week. Uh, and Alexander Madison, I think will be returning. So Michael Boone, probably for not, but, uh, he obviously has a, a ton of upside, but, uh, yeah, the Vikings favored at home. Anytime you can get a a home running back who's favored, uh, and then especially on the Vikings, you know, they are one of the most run heavy teams in the league, uh, and they have a, a good running scheme. Uh, that is a pretty good situation. And the the Packers are one of the most generous teams in the league to opposing running backs. So if Dalvin Cook plays, like if he's healthy, he gets in uh, not like a full week of practice, but even if he just gets in one full practice session, uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a locked in top three running back. Yeah, so the thing that kind of kills me about this is in my um, Tomorrow's Moves Today column, Literally the entire season, I was highlighting how solid of a schedule the Vikings had um, in the playoffs and really for the majority of the season. Uh, So I was I kept going back to if Alexander Madison becomes available, Adam, if he becomes available, Adam should have been including Mike Boone. I mean, you can't talk. I mean, I, you know, this just gets to the fragility of like the running back position. You can't talk about. Uh, you know, adding, he's a high upside guy, but like adding the third string, he's not even the third string running back. It's like there were yeah, some games he wasn't true. even suiting up, but um, yeah, I mean, 
it, yeah, it's just the situation where you can't talk about how like, hey, you should add this guy in case like the two players ahead of him get injured at the same time. Okay, that makes me feel better, actually. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very fair point, um, especially when you consider the other players ahead of them that would make more sense at the given point in time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we talked about uh, New York-Washington. You know, actually, we didn't even talk about, uh, or we talked about it, but I didn't give my, uh, my slant on yep. uh, Vikings-Packers. I, oh, prefer okay. the, I prefer the Vikings in this uh this situation fyi oh um yeah so uh they've had all sorts of regular season edges under uh head coach mike zimmer at home they are 31 14 and 1 against the spread as favorites they are 36 18 and 1 against the spread um and then as home favorites specifically they are 25 10 and 1 um and i think those trends make sense within the context of who zimmer is and the kind of team that the Vikings are uh, underneath him, right? Zimmer is a, he's sort of like the anti-Garrett. Like, I don't think that um, there's much like explosiveness with anything that he does, but the Vikings don't make mistakes. Like they are a disciplined team because their coach is, is focused on getting like the, the basics right. Um, he's a process oriented defensive type of guy. And so that means that, um, they, they just, they don't beat themselves up. They don't like, so when they're at home, they don't waste the natural advantage that they have when they're playing an underdog opponent. They don't play down to the level of their opponent. Right. So, uh, I, I prefer the Vikings this week at home as favorites, uh, four points, wherever it is that you find that line. Um, I wouldn't take it, uh, two, six, but I, you know, up to like minus five and a half, I'd probably be willing to do that. And a large part of that also is I just don't have much respect for the Green Bay Packers. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, Hall of Famer, you know, whatever. But uh, he's not the guy he was. And like, they're just slightly above average on offense and defense. And against a, a good team at home like the Vikings, that really doesn't get you all that far perfectly fair um to get back though um if you are now done with that game yes um, sorry <laughs> no it's okay it's okay uh i mean i honestly that's probably one that's more exciting to talk about than uh the new york washington game but why don't you break that down for me because i know that was another one that you had some thoughts on yeah yeah um well first of all let's talk about uh adrian peterson um and what what he is doing do you think uh, he should get another season as a lead back. I know this wasn't like on the sheet for us to yeah, talk fine. about, but like, what are your, what are your thoughts on what we've seen out of Peterson this year? I mean, I think it's pretty incredible. Just if you look at the point that he, he is at in his career, the wear and tear that he should have taken, that he's still operating, like I would say at least an average to above average running back. I mean, you have to be impressed, especially in the confines of a team like Washington this season that really, uh, you know, has a lot to be desired. So I think, yes, he should get a crack at lead back status next season. Um, are there a number of better backs in the league? Sure. Uh, can he get the job done? Absolutely. I think we're seeing that. And I don't think there's any reason to assume that he wouldn't be able to do it next season. Unfortunately, we see Darius Geis, who I just think is fantastic, dealing with yet another injury. So I think it makes sense for uh, Peterson to return to Washington and again play a vital role in the offense, uh, you know, 
I don't expect Washington to be great, but uh, from a fantasy perspective, we might be looking at another season of Adrian Peterson quietly bringing production to fantasy teams. Yeah. I mean, the thing that kind of kills me is I think like I would love to see Darius guys get the opportunity on his own, but he's, you know, he's just been injured and, you know, I I don't want to say that he's injury prone. Like maybe it's just sort of like a freak thing, but uh, they clearly need to have an insurance policy behind him. And Adrian Peterson has been a, a capable enough insurance policy um, he's going to be 35 next year, which is just incredible. <laughs> um, but uh, it's like incredible, especially when you consider what Frank Gore, like in comparison, is doing. And like there, I think Gore is also like 34, 35, like in that in that vicinity. Um, and Adrian Peterson, so Gore's 36. Adrian Peterson is uh, really standing out in comparison. Uh, so yeah, I think. I think he's going to be at worst like a timeshare back uh, and I bet he stays with the Redskins because I mean, they have him under contract. He's relatively cheap. Um, You know, why wouldn't you do it at this point? But uh, yeah, so thinking about this, um, this number, uh, I, I'm not going to take a side uh, in terms of like the spread. But uh, I am going to look to the under here and the under is 42, which is on the lower end. But um, I still like it the under uh, interim coach uh, Bill Callahan. Um, the Redskins have been a really slow and run heavy team and that drives games to the under. So the Redskins are six and three to the under uh, with Callahan. And I don't think that's a fluke. Um, when he was with the Raiders in 2003 and they were four and 12, um, he was, you know, similarly to the under. Uh, and I think that's just because of the way that he calls games. Like they play slow, they run the ball and it's like a very much like, let's keep this game close and hope that we can win at the end or hope that we lose respectably mentality. Um, and that I think just drives games to the under. So, uh, and we also have that uh, that trend of divisional opponents playing each other uh, late in the season. So uh, you put those things together, I will be looking to bet under 42. Which, by the way, I should say, um, if people want to uh, kind of read about uh, these trends I'm talking about, read some of my research, uh, you can find an article on, uh, on these trends at Action Network. Which I can endorse uh, checking out Matt's stuff. Um... If anybody has been under a rock, um, you know, his stuff is probably worth your checking out. Uh, before we close, though, Matt, Dwayne Haskins, we've not talked about 57% <laughs> completion rate, um, 6.6 yards per attempt, five touchdowns, seven interceptions, QBR of 70. Should we be holding this introductory season against him, or is he a prisoner of circumstance? Uh, I mean, it's maybe a little bit of both, you know, like I think, um, what we've seen and it, it, we've gone back and forth on Jared yep. Goff, but like yep. what we've seen with Jared Goff is that a, a quarterback who isn't, uh, highly, um, highly talented when placed with a competent, uh, play caller can still be very useful. And, uh, you know, that could be the fate that Dwayne Haskins has, you know, like even if he's not that talented, maybe the Redskins hire someone who can use him really well. 
and maybe he is actually talented and what we've seen out of him is just kind of reflective of uh, a guy who's playing in the middle of a lost season. Um, you know, I'm thinking about this more institutionally from the Redskins perspective, like it, they have to keep him, you know, like they have to, like, this isn't yep. a Josh Rosen type of situation. Um, there isn't likely to be uh, a, like a surefire quarterback available whenever they are on the board, even though they're three and 11. Um, I think the guys who are really desired are going to be gone by the time the Redskins pick. So, um, you know, I think, you know, institutionally, uh, whether they think Dwayne Haskins is already a sunk cost or not, uh, they have to give him another season. Well, the thing too, I think is, and like you said, if you look at the quarterbacks that are going to be coming in, Haskins profile coming into school was really strong. So, you know, unless they're getting one of those very early picks, it's going to be hard to find somebody better. But I mean, even forgetting about other options, I would be, I would not be inclined to give up on him that quickly. Um, but I, I, I do agree uh, for a player like him, coaching is going to be a, a major factor in his success. So hopefully they can get some things squared away heading into next season. Hopefully Darius Geis can get healthy and uh, all of the players that we've mentioned in Washington can prosper. Here's, next here's, uh, here's yep. one kind of final question here on this. So yep. let's say that the, um, the Redskins are picking outside the top five. And uh, I'm kind of like looking at the records to see, um, you know, like they might pick anywhere from, let's say, like number four to number six, like roughly speaking. Yep. Um, Maybe as high as number two, but um, I don't I I don't know if that's likely. So anyway, let's say they're picking outside of the top two. Um, Tua, if he declares, is going to be available. So then the real question is like, do they, do they take Tua uh, and hope that he's better than Dwayne Haskins, uh, hope that he recovers from his hip injury? Um, you know, like if you think that you have a, a quarterback who would have gone number one, if not for an injury that might be career altering, yep. do, do you take a chance on him? If you think that the guy you took number one or like with your first rounder last year if you already believe that he's not the guy for you. I think for me, this goes back to what I, what I've mentioned a lot. And I know a lot of people don't, don't agree with this philosophy, but for me, it comes down to what percentage of quarterbacks are actually going to hit and what percentage are going to hit in a way that actually makes a difference for your team. I'm not convinced. And obviously I haven't gone through and done all of the work that I normally would when evaluating a quarterback prospect, but I'm not convinced just yet that Tua is this type of guy that's going to come in, be a top six, seven passer and really propel your team forward. So if I'm not sure about that, and I, I guess it comes down to if they've given up on Haskins, which I don't think that they should have just yet. I, I would prefer to bring in a very solid defensive player or an offensive lineman before taking another swing on the quarterback, especially if I'm not in a position where this team is set up, even if we have that very good quarterback to move forward. So if I'm the skins, I'm probably not going ahead and taking Tua. Of course, if I look at things and decide like, Oh my God, Tua is unbelievable. Then, you know, maybe that could change. 
But um, I'm more resistant to taking quarterback than, than most. Understanding that you need a good quarterback to have success in the NFL, but unless it's a 100% surefire thing, I'm not sure it makes sense for a team like Washington. Yeah, uh, I think that makes sense. All right. Left him left him speechless. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm just I'm looking at numbers now. So okay, yeah. I'm, no, I'm I'm distracted. That's perfectly fine. Um all right. Well then, hey, I know this isn't on the sheet too, but this actually might be a legitimate question for people. Okay. Panthers are considering starting Will Greer is what the word on the street is. Yeah. Does that impact your decision to play DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, Christian McCaffrey? No. Um, I mean, I think he's probably going to be like roughly Kyle Allen. Um, so yeah, I, I think you just, you start guys as you normally would. Yeah, I, I agree. And on that note, we can close out this show again. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dave Capen FF and at Matt F the Oracle. Good luck in the finals. And until next time, remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.